Hello everyone, and welcome to The Longest Night, a little show about the HBO series Game of Thrones. My name is Rob, and it's just me hosting this episode because it's our Christmas special. That's right, there's no Lizzie today, so let me explain why. In 2020, a lot of us have taken up habits and hobbies that we can do indoors. Some of us started baking, some of us started podcasts, and some of us started reacting to TV shows. And one of the people out there who decided to start reacting to TV shows and had a fair bit of success with it was our guest today. You will all know her as the YouTube reactor, your weirdo friend Cass. And she was kind enough to give us 90 minutes of her time on two separate occasions recently. The first interview we did with her ended up sounding like this. How are you today? Because we are recording this about six or seven weeks in advance. So it's still October. But um, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for asking. Um, yeah, it's my three-day weekend, so I had a lot of time this weekend to... That sounded like crap, so we decided to reschedule and restage our conversation. Now, I must warn you all that there will be spoilers in this episode for all eight seasons of Game of Thrones. That's right, for the first time, we have to put a huge spoiler warning on an episode of The Longest Night. We had a huge chat about how Cassie feels towards the ending of the story, where certain characters ended up, and how she feels now that she's had some time to stew on the finale for a few weeks. And Lizzie, if you are listening to this, I speak directly to you now. If you are listening to this in December 2020, you are more than welcome to carry on, but you will have major events spoiled for you uh, several times during this episode if you choose to listen to any more than five minutes of this. But if you've kept on Santa's nice list and you're listening to this either in May 2022 or later than that, then feel free to dive in and enjoy to your heart's content, knowing that you've watched the entire show and can't be spoiled. Man, it feels weird to be speaking to the future. Anyway, without further ado, I am going to play our usual intro and then cut to our interview with Cassie. So enjoy, everyone. just sort of I'll just sort of begin by asking how are you today on this day (laughs) I'm good I'm so good I'm actually it's beautifully rainy outside I have all the calm vibes in here I'm excited to be able to talk to you again actually too I I just want to open up because obviously I came to you as a game of uh, you were a Game of Thrones uh, reaction YouTuber when I first came across you but what were your early years like watching TV like what were the first TV shows that you ever really got into and thought you were there every week for every episode or did you binge watch everything first like when did you start I'm trying to think it's different now because obviously when we were growing up it wasn't like Netflix and Hulu where you find a show and you get to binge watch it so I think I was probably heavier on movies and just repeating every single night watching the same movie um, for me, I remember my first movie obsession was Wizard of Oz when I was like three and <laughs> I memorized all the words. I had the costumes. I was dancing around the living room. That's where everything started. But I also had this really strange attachment, maybe not strange to friends, the show friends mm-hmm, when I was mm-hmm. like 
five years old, me and my mom would watch that every Thursday night when a new one was coming out. And so, yeah, those are probably like the earliest ones. Um, and then once like Netflix and Hulu and all those things kicked in around early high school age for me, I, gosh, I've been obsessed. I was obsessed with American Horror Story, Orange is the New Black. Um, of course, I went through a big phase of just teen dramas. So I've seen One Tree Hill, Gossip Girl, Vampire Diaries. Like those are my <laughs> shows in high school. Um, I don't know. It's always something new and something random. I can never think off the top of my head of all the shows I've watched, but it's been a lot. Well, I thought it was a lot until I came to the reaction community and everyone's like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And I'm like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> but yeah, movies and TV have always been in my life. It's interesting, actually, because just personally, um, it was The Simpsons that got me into television. Mm-hmm. And um, Friends was another one I picked up. I think I was just finishing, um, obviously, you'd refer to it as elementary school and just starting oh. middle school. So I was about 11, 12 years old when I first started watching Friends. Um, we have a, we still have a it's um, we still have a channel over here. It's like kind of like a, a pay to view channel. It's called E4. I lost count of how many they used to have this weird schedule with Friends where like they would show the episodes of Friends at between six and seven. They showed two episodes a night, uh-huh. and then they had a channel called E4 Plus One, which would play the same two episodes from seven till eight, and uh-huh. then they would then they would show two new episodes from eight till nine. And then, and then E4 plus one again from nine till 10. So I just watched friends for four hours every single night after, after school or college or whatever. So it's, um, it's, um, it's always stuck around. So, and I think a lot of that writing has aged quite well. I, 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 I still love friends. Um, yeah, a lot of people are starting to like grow out of it. I feel like people are like, Oh, friends, I don't watch that anymore. I've seen that on social media. I'm like, why are we hating friends all of a sudden? I love friends. I have to shout out the movie Titanic too. Okay. And my little sister Grace, she is obsessed with Titanic, thanks to me. So, and she's what (laughs) ten? She's just obsessed with it. So, I don't know. Yeah, there's so many movies and TV shows. If we could have Titanic on a loop, just Titanic on TV is like four hours because it's so. Yeah, take up a good afternoon, especially with ad breaks in the middle. Um, All those, uh, all those really long. uh, (laughs) God, uh, you forget how long that movie is actually, which I think is a testament to it actually. Yeah. That you don't realize how long it is. Um, so my next little um, question, obviously you're into TV now and you are watching TV. Who, did, were you recommended Game of Thrones or did you come to it yourself? Yeah, so how I got into Game of Thrones was, well, I have to admit when I was like 18, which is four, five years ago now, um, I... I think Game of Thrones probably was, that was like 2015. Do you know about Mm. what season Game of Thrones would be on? Uh, Five. Five? That's when, oh, that makes sense. It must have been when uh, John died. Yeah, that was the same point. I thought, right, okay, I should start watching this now. Okay. I didn't know that John died, but I feel like the hype on social media about Game of Thrones in general finally caught my eye. Um, and now I just put it together that that's probably what everyone was freaking out about. But um, so I tried to give the show a try. I got halfway through the first episode and I thought it was boring. And I'm so upset with myself. I don't know why I thought that. If I would have stuck to the end and saw Bran get pushed out a window, I would have stuck with it. But I guess we wouldn't have the channel then. So it, it is what it is. But then what made me get into it with the channel just recently was my stepdad, who is not a movie TV guy. He like never has time for movies and TV. And um, he was binge watching Game of Thrones this past December and was 
it was always talking about, he was like, you guys got to watch Game of Thrones. You guys got to watch Game of Thrones. So I was like, okay, if the guy who never can sit down and just enjoy a movie, enjoy a TV show, if he can stick with Game of Thrones and he won't stop talking about it, there's got to be something to it, which obviously I already knew there was, but it was his obsession with it that really drove home that I wanted to watch it. And so I watched the first two seasons. I binge watched the first two seasons in like a couple weeks. And then, um, and then it was just like life got busy. I think other TV shows were coming out that I wanted to catch up on. So I took a break from Game of Thrones. And then when I was ready to go back to it, um, I'd been spending, you know, quarantine had started and I'd been spending a lot of quarantine watching, uh, movie and TV reactions to other shows, mostly Stranger Things, because I'm obsessed with Stranger Things. Um, but yeah, I was really into the reaction genre on YouTube. So when I was ready to go back for season three of Game of Thrones, I decided to just start my own reaction channel. That's, um, it's interesting, actually, that because um, Game of Thrones is not, I wouldn't say it's solely responsible for this wave of reaction channels that have kind of exploded over the past sort of five or six years. But the Red Wedding is a huge moment uh, in YouTube history where people who had already read the books and knew what was coming were videotaping their friends to get their reactions to it. And then they go viral. And all of a sudden, this idea of reacting to Game of Thrones spreads mm-hmm. out to be reacting to other TV shows. And it turns it like, cause I follow um, sport. Like I've, I follow soccer, football in the UK and the reactions that some people had in to some episodes of Game of Thrones were similar to reactions that people have to sport. And that was really interesting to me that like it, I mean, Game of Thrones was always event television anyway, but that really hammered home just how much of an event it was where you would see people clamoring forwards in pubs and bars in like 200, 300 people in a really small enclosed space, all experiencing something together. So it's nice that in a way for you, it kind of, it did come full circle in a little way. And you know, you are right in saying that if you'd have got into it in 2015, maybe when reaction channels weren't, they were around, but they weren't the kind of lucrative and, popular medium through which to watch TV now, especially with like, um, not just reacting to TV shows, but reacting to video games too on Twitch. Oh yeah. And it's this, this idea that we now like watching people watch things to see if their reaction matches ours and to see how their opinion differs from mine or from somebody else's. And that was, to be honest, that was something that, um, I mean, we'll get on to um, discussing the final seasons of Game of Thrones in a little bit, but there are a lot of people because I'm part of the Game of Thrones fan community who quite liked the ending and we were eager to see how you were reading certain things and whether you spotted certain things earlier or maybe it didn't feel like as much of a a dramatic conclusion to you maybe it felt inevitable to you or like we were really curious to see how you felt about um because the final season makes a lot of big 50-50 split decisions and you either go one way with it or you go the other way with it to varying degrees and I think that is the appeal of reaction channels and not just running them but watching them and seeing what other people think and it generates this sense of community and it's like this marketplace of ideas and it's yeah no it's um I mean to be honest it's one of the reasons that we invited you on here as well because it means that obviously you have your sections at the end of your reaction videos where you go on to oh yeah talk about the episodes but they're immediate 
you know? Mm. And so you, or sometimes you need time to sit with things to, even if it's just to solidify how you already feel, or maybe you'll change your mind or, um, yeah. So I, I yeah, no, I'm really, uh, I'm very grateful that you come on. So we know how you kind of, um, got into Game of Thrones, which funnily enough was around the same time as me. Mm. I was, um, I was kind of holding it off because I knew everybody was talking about it, but I was in the middle of watching Fargo, the first two seasons of that, and I was watching a couple of other shows too. My stepdad is watching Fargo right now, and he's telling me how great it is. And now you're mentioning it. Maybe I need to watch it. In the previous version of this uh, conversation that we had that will sadly never see the light of day much like the game of thrones pilot actually we talked about a handful of your favorite moments so i don't know if you still have the same opinions but over the show what do you think became like not necessarily your absolute favorite but what what's right up there for you best moments i i didn't remember what my answer was last time until you brought it up just now and immediately the same thought came to my head um, well, season four in general is my favorite season. So there's a lot of moments in season four that I really stick out to me. And for some reason, Oberyn's speech to Tyrion explaining that he's going to fight for him in the, in the trial by combat. One of my favorite moments of all of Game of Thrones. I get chills and tears when I see it anywhere on social media. I love it so much. I think in general, a lot of my favorite moments have been those more emotional monologues that we get from different characters rather than big battles. Mm -hmm. Of course, battles are exciting and eye candy, but like just the monologues really hit me and are what stick with me more. And so, yeah, that's one moment that I loved right away. And um, hearing people talk about it too in the comments just made me love it even more. I feel like I'm really, it's really easy to do that to me. When pe other people love something, I really, really look at it different. And I'm like, oh, I see that. So yeah, that's one moment. Um, and then in general, I think it's just like getting certain characters together um, and getting to see their playful banter back and forth. So obviously there's the Hound and Arya. And also Jamie and Brienne, anything with Jamie and Brienne. That's another moment in the last season where Jamie knights Brienne. One of, probably my favorite moment of the whole, whole of season eight. I loved that so much. You are not alone with the uh, Brienne and Jamie thing. Um, I think that's everybody's favorite moment of that final season, actually. <laughs> but to go back to your point about Oberyn, I think that as much as it's maybe not a common choice for people's absolute favorite moment I think it's nice that you've picked something different because as much as I love talking about um you know the red wedding or mm. at the moment um on the podcast when this episode goes out we will have just seen uh, Ned Stark get chopped wow. and Jon Snow's death or Joffrey's death or Battle of the Bastards or the Cersei's trial or you know, the Daenerys attacking the Lannisters or something like that. As much as it's great to talk about all that, I kind of like the fact that you've gone for something slightly left field in terms of choice because because of everything that happens with Oberyn in the next episode after that, because he gets his head, like, literally smushed. <laughs> um, you forget that 
the end of episode seven is a real low point for Tyrion because that's after the trial in the throne room mm. and before the actual trial by combat. So, and he's asking around for like, he's asking people like, Bronn, will you be my champion? And Bronn says, I, I want to, but I can't. And I was so disappointed. That was the last straw for me. I was like, what? Who's, no one's going to fight for him. Yeah, exactly. Ev- everybody is in a circle, just kind of falls away. And then, out of the darkness comes mm-hmm. Prince Oberyn sweeping in with a with a torch um, to light and declare that he'll be Tyrion's champion. So it is. It's a huge emotional uplift at the end of that. Very. I mean, it's not right at the end of the episode because I think the cliffhanger of that episode is when Peter Baelish pushes uh, Lysa Arryn out of the, oh, the yes. big door. Oh, yeah. That was such a good episode. But even still, like it's it's an amazing, amazing, amazing moment with um yeah with Oberyn coming in. Um do you have any other um favorites? Like I know you were saying that the battles are maybe like eye candy, but do you have anything outside of that maybe? Like Oh my gosh. I have to say I, I'm rewatching with my friend as well, Game of Thrones. Yes, yeah, yeah. We're filming that over on my Patreon. And we are just about to watch the Golden Crown. But the episode before that, when I think it's episode before or two episodes before, it might be episode, would that make it three, episode three, Um, Danny stands up to Viserys and she kind of has that powerful moment where she slaps him. Yeah, she hits him over the head with the gold. um, Yes, I've just seen that episode myself. So, yeah. And then she has that line where she says something like, the next time you lay a hand on me will be the last time you have hands. Oh, the way she delivers that line. That delivery just sticks with me. It stuck with me before where when it came on screen, I knew exactly what she was about to say, even though I already had seen the episode only once like way mm. like eight months ago I that stuck with me when I rewatched it and I was so excited for that line in that moment um yeah so that I don't know that sticks out to me uh I I want to think if like there are other seasons I feel like I really loved season six mm. season six is full of moments yeah with like chilling moments of course Danny riding Drogon for the first time that was special. Uh, yeah, that's just at the end of season five. That's the last, second to last episode of season five. Yeah. Yeah, because didn't something really depressing happen right before that? Shireen. Um, oh, being, episode nine. I was thinking of it as an episode 10. Yeah. Burned at the stake. But yes. Um, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> just Shireen's reminded bad. me of the Shireen scene. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a hard one for me. Yeah, as that's... Episode nines, I would have to say my favorite it's hard to say what my favorite episode nine is because I was miserable in all of them but I would say the one I'm most looking forward to my friend watching of course is the red wedding you know I I feel like that's probably the most highly anticipated episode nine to see others react to just because Ned's episode nine really like sets the tone for the show but I just feel like the red wedding just really make hammers at home that okay that wasn't just shock factor this is just what happens and it's going to continue to happen and so yeah I I love I'm excited for her to see that episode nine um I also just feel like I actually really like that episode and the way it's presented if I can separate myself from the emotions of it and the Lannister theme kicking in when the Lannister theme kicks in during episode nine I didn't know what that theme was when I first watched it so I was bliss. I hadn't caught on to the music yet. And so 
I don't know. I'm going to try to subtly misguide, not misguide, but guide my friend into re- recognizing these certain themes. So hopefully when she watches episode nine, she gets it. <laughs> I'm thinking of that um, because I have to manage Lizzie in the same way because Lizzie really doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Like she knows that Peter Dinklage is in the show and she knows that there's a coffee cup in a scene in the last season. Yep. yep. But that's kind of, that's it. That's all she really knows. And so the Red Wedding is going to be devastating and it's going to hit her really hard. But you can see it coming about five minutes before it happens because they yeah. play The Reigns of Castamere and that's the title of the episode. And it's like, how do you make sure that she remembers it but doesn't remember it to the point where she'll think, shit, something's up? And mm-hmm. so maybe it's one of those where I'll have to maybe accept that I didn't know the Linus scene theme when I first saw it. And so maybe I let her work it out afterwards or maybe I tell her afterwards and then she can go back and go, oh, shit, yeah, that is that, that was huge. Um, I just want to go back to your channel at a moment because obviously your channel has grown in size and it's now quite large. And so I was wondering... When did you realize that that was happening? Mm. Like, when did that, was there a particular episode, like The Red Wedding or something, that kind of tipped the balance? Like, did you suddenly realize that you were getting more subscribers after a certain episode or a moment or? Yeah, yeah I think, well, first of all, I remember the first video I posted, um, my reaction to season three, episode one. I posted it at night and then I was like, okay, if I wake up in the morning and it has like five views, I'm going to keep going because people are going to like want to talk, you know, and be able to talk back and forth about this. That's good enough for me. Five views. And I woke up the next morning and there were 26 views. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I like that Um, you've uh, memorized that number. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why. I didn't even, it wasn't a thing that I meant to memorize, but I just remember. And then, so that was just exciting to me and I just kept with it. And then I ran into some copyright issues um, midway through season three and everyone in the comments, because I brought it up to my viewers and they were like, we don't know much about copyright, but you should reach out to other reactors and see if they can help you out. And um, like I said before, I was watching a lot of reaction channels before starting my own and Nikki and Steven Reacts was one of the big ones that I loved. And I decided to reach out to them on Twitter just to ask them some copyright questions. And they gave me all the copyright answers and they gave me a shout out on their channel, which was like a big deal for my channel. I think I got almost a thousand, I reached my threshold of a thousand subscribers uh, halfway through season three because of them. And once I hit a thousand subscribers, that's when I was like, whoa, okay, this is bigger than I thought it could ever be, especially so fast. And um, so that was one big one. And it probably also helped that we were leading into the Red Wedding when they shouted me out. So a lot of people were like, oh, she's going to watch the Red Wedding. <laughs> That's probably what they wanted she's to getting see. getting closer. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one. And then Duo Reacts uh, about a week later also shouted me out on their channel. And um, that gave me a big boost as well. 
Um, and then for some reason, I can't say there's a, a definitely the Red Wedding, I'm sure was a big episode. It kind of is mixed in with those shout outs too. So that whole section was uh, probably a big turning point for the channel. And then also, um, I don't remember specific episodes, but I remember during season four is kind of when I became more nervous to make sure my video was absolutely perfect because I knew as soon as I hit upload, there was going to be like 100 views in the first 30 minutes and people were gonna see a mistake if I made a mistake. And so it was around there where I was like, okay, I really need to pay attention to this editing process and make sure these are perfect. Um, and then around season five reactions is when it really started to become more, um, I don't know, like, yeah, more people, like thousands of views in the first hour. And so, and that kind of correlates with obviously like subscribers going up. So it was a steady, a steady climb. Um, from that red wedding shout outs moments at the beginning. Oh, that's really nice actually that you were able to be given a, you, all you did was innocently ask a question about copyright and (laughs) it turned into the greatest thing. So like, was this something that you decided to do just because of the year that 2020 has been, Mm. or was it something you were kind of planning on doing anyway? Yeah, I didn't really plan. I think I didn't plan it out. I just decided one week, I'm going to do this. And I, and I did it. And it was because, um, you know, quarantine had just started. And so I was working from home. And so I had those reaction videos and reaction channel videos all up on my, in the background while I was working. And it was just like the only thing I would ever watch on YouTube for the past several months that I really kept up with on YouTube, you know? So, um, yeah. And I just didn't, I, I didn't know, if Game of Thrones was going to be my favorite. So when I started Game of Thrones, you know, from season one, I didn't think to do a reaction channel because I didn't want to just make a reaction channel just to make one. I wanted to make a reaction channel because I knew that I loved this show and wanted to talk about it with people. So yeah, I think going into season three, that was probably in April. Yeah. Where we'd been in quarantine for like a month and they had mm-hmm. just told us like, it's probably going to be another month. It's might be a, even to the beginning of summer and we were like oh no not the beginning of summer um and (laughs) (laughs) uh, I was like okay I also have like a a half hour drive into work usually so by not having to go into work and working from home I had gained an hour of my day um to do other things and so I was like okay I have time to maybe keep up with this and I could upload during work um just like have that uploading on its bite on its own in the background and so yeah I just had the time I had the show that I loved and I was like I like reaction channels let's do it it was all kind of just a perfect storm in one week where I was like oh let's try it out oh oh, god that's that's just it's so nice that like something like this for you has kind of come from almost nothing and like, it's just an idea that you had. I mean, it's a similar thing with the start of this um, show, really, because this initially was just a, a blog that I kept. The Longest Night was just a blog I kept. Um, after season seven finished, we knew there was going to be a long wait for season eight. And so I decided to watch every episode again, yeah, week by week, and then write about every episode. And I managed to write up until the middle of season three and then it became too difficult to juggle life and work and the blog. And so I stopped doing the blog week by week, but I kept up dating and ranking and 
sharing things and then it became after season eight finished i re-ranked all the episodes again and then i wrote a couple of other pieces and then a year after season eight so six seven months ago just as we were in lockdown actually mm. um i decided to start doing season eight retrospectives so like a year on how do i feel about this episode yeah. And they got some really good coverage um, just through sharing them on Reddit and social media and things like that. And then Mm -hmm. around August time, I think we were in the UK, we were anticipating heading into a second lockdown. So I thought, right, I've got two choices to make here. I either start a YouTube channel where I do a similar thing to The Longest Night, but just in video form. Or I speak to my friend Lizzie, who has never seen an episode of Game of Thrones before, see if she wants to do a show. Um, I was kind of leaning, wanting to do the latter. I wanted to do the show with Lizzie. And luckily she said, yeah, and she got right into it. And without even watching an episode, she like made an investment. And like she bought a microphone. And I was like, yeah, oh, oh yeah, we're writing, we're writing on this. Because you have these ideas sometimes and you try and give them to other people and you don't quite know how they're going to respond but so for it to respond so just so positively and so enthusiastically and it was like yeah I've got to get the drive to to do this yeah um, I can totally relate to that even just on the level of loving a tv show and wanting to share it with someone and just watch it with them and I oh that's another thing where it's just like not a surprise at all that reaction channels are so big of a genre right now is because a lot of us who are like movies and TV, our life is just a reaction channel, forcing it upon people and just watching their faces while they're watching the show. And they're like, oh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And now it's reaction videos. We don't, they, we don't have to make people uncomfortable. They want us to watch them watch a show. No, precisely. <laughs> um, the, the other thing I wanted to ask as well, just about your channel, is that there are certain moments in Game of Thrones that you didn't, we didn't get to see you react to so I was thinking of asking you just about two big moments really what was if you can remember what was your initial reaction to Ned Stark being beheaded Mm -hmm. I absolutely did not see it coming I was in denial about it I wasn't sure until the next episode that he was actually dead I was hoping that the birds flying was just their way of being like maybe he's dead maybe he's not but then there's the look on Arya's face so I was like leaning more toward him being dead but I was definitely in denial about it I was not expecting I actually didn't know that Game of Thrones was that kind of show I had no idea that it was like a lot of people are gonna die it's like this savage show where anything can happen I had no idea um yeah I definitely cried I definitely cried um and I think actually the first time I cried on the show was when Lady was killed Mm, very early on yeah yeah and yeah so Ned was a big shock big emotions and I wouldn't say I was angry about it um because I didn't I I liked Ned but I didn't love Ned until I found out about the secret that he'd been keeping about John that's when he literally shot to the top and it was my favorite character um but I really liked Ned I was really shocked about that yeah that was hard (laughs) And the other one, um, I was wondering how you reacted, because I think another one that people would have watched um, had the video existed um, Mm -hmm. was obviously the Battle of Blackwater. 
mm-hmm. and specifically the moment where the ships go up with wildfire. Mm-hmm. Can you remember how you felt about much of that episode at all? Because it's kind of like a prolonged incident rather than... Like a big shock moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because at that point I wasn't scared going into that episode because I didn't know about the episode nine thing until after the Red Wedding. So that was, again, where I wasn't really going into that episode with expectations of anything crazy happening. Um, But I do remember the anxiety that I felt for Tyrion throughout most of that episode, Um, because that's when he goes out and he gets his face all mangled up, right? In the Battle of Blackwater. Yes, 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 yes. My heart was with Tyrion the whole time. The the wildfire, I was like, oh, wonderful. This is what we have to deal with now. This is another, uh, it's kind of like finding out that nuclear p- power is a thing and nuclear war is a thing. It's like, okay, they have, they can bring out all the, t- the, the tricks that they need to uh, destroy absolutely everything. So yeah, that was, that was crazy. I think I I wasn't even as scared about the wildfire and about, you know, Tywin coming in and being like, we won. And, you know, I was just like, okay, you won, but how's Tyrion? Where is he? <laughs> I was just worried about Tyrion the whole time, that whole episode. I remember first watching that episode and that Blackwater moment was the moment where everything really clicked for me because I was really enjoying it anyway. And obviously with Ned's death and with a few other moments in season one, you can't really watch season one and not realize that, yeah, it's the kind of show for me. I could keep going with this, but there was something missing. And it was like, I was told that it was something different than what I'd experienced in the first 18 episodes. And then Blackwater turns up and the wildfire explosion happens. And it's like, ah, there we go. That's the kind of show I was told it was. Everything you did brought you where you are now. Where you belong. rather large elephant in the room of any Game of Thrones discussion these days which is the I would say you know the final two seasons but mainly the final season so 
you've had a little while to stew on it now. Mm-hmm. And obviously we spoke about it maybe three weeks ago, but I've mm-hmm. forgotten most of it. So yeah. <laughs> how are you feeling now? Have you seen any of the episodes or clips since? Oh, I've seen clips here and there on social media, but I haven't rewatched episodes. Um, so, but yeah, I've definitely given it a lot of thought, definitely scrolled through Reddit and been able to freely read my comments on my videos now. Cause for those last two seasons, I really wasn't reading comments because I just didn't want to be spoiled. Who was it that was, did you have someone monitoring yeah. and reading your comments? Yeah, my mom was, my mom was, okay. them, and it got to the point where there were so many comments that we would just sometimes just sit together and she would go through the top comments and read them to me while we were just next to each other. And I'd be like, Ooh, heart that. The um, safe ones, the safe ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, going back and reading comments, I was like very interested to see what everyone thought. Um, I did go into season eight with a preconceived notion that people did not love the ending. I didn't realize that people didn't like season seven as much. I didn't realize that, that it was the whole of season eight that people didn't like. I just thought that people didn't like, when I heard people didn't like the ending, they meant like the literal last episode, mm-hmm. um, which is also true for a lot of people. But I know now it's more in general than just the last two seasons. Okay, so as far as Danny and her turn in the second to last episode, I was, I was shocked by it in the moment, the way that it happened. Um, more the fact that it was after the victory than before the victory and so yeah I was kind of upset about it at the time I I did it didn't surprise me um that it happened it just surprised me the way that it happened Mm -hmm. Um, which is why I'm super excited I'm reading the books and I'm crossing my fingers that we get to see George R.R. Martin's take on the last two books and writing one day (laughs) (laughs) it probably won't happen I shouldn't get my hopes up but Mm -hmm. Even then, I still enjoyed the show and it gave me, it it made me feel something. Even when a show makes me feel angry, I feel like they did something right, (laughs) you know? It's like you love the character and you've seen them through their highs and lows, but just because you saw them in their highs doesn't mean you get to erase the fact that there are also these little moral discrepancies along the way. And unfortunately, Danny gave into the Targaryen name and gave into all these internal battles that she'd been trying so hard to fight along the way. And I think finally when she got her chance to choose, you know, who she wanted to be, she was just in this desperation mode. And she was like, no, I'm here. I want to do it right. I want to start over. I, she had very much like a, I know what's right kind of God complex at the end of the season, it seems like to me, especially in that throne room scene when she's talking to John and she makes a comment like, um, yeah. no, it's okay. If they think it's right, it doesn't matter. We get to just decide what's right. And yeah, I remember you, something that you said last time that actually stuck with me was that you compared it to Lord of the Rings and how the ring, which I don't know anything about Lord of the Rings. I haven't watched it, but what I do know is all that you said where the ring, when you put it on, it's kind of like, is it like, um, it messes with someone. It makes them power hungry, kind of like takes, takes Mm. over their mind and their soul. And I felt like the Iron Throne did do that to her in a way. Um, to be honest, you don't even have to put the ring on in Lord of the Rings. If, if it's within your vicinity and you're holding it, not even on your finger, it can slowly turn you into someone who's 
power mad and quite addicted to it. And yeah, I always thought that like, I mean, just my personal opinion about Daenerys's end anyway, was that I often, you know, when you look through online comments and discussions about it, there seems to be this, it's not the prevailing narrative. It's just a thread that I pick up on where a lot of people seem to think that Daenerys's ending came about, it was a reversal of something or it was a sudden change in her nature. And then they go further into that argument and they think that if there is a sudden change and she is the villain now, why didn't we get to see the transformation happen over, happen over a longer period of time? And if you view Daenerys as the villain at the end, I understand why you would want more time to digest that. But I think this speaks to a lot of how we liked, we still, even in what I consider to be a very postmodern world when it comes to movies and TV and art in general, that we still like to have very clearly drawn lines when it comes to the end of the story. I think when we're in the middle of a story or at the beginning of a story, we like morally complex characters because there's still a long time to go and there's still a long time for things to be ironed out and for people to pick sides. And then when it comes down to it at the end, they expect Daenerys to have picked a side by now. And that because for the first, you know, we're sort of building towards on the surface, we're building towards Daenerys being a benevolent leader who, manages to win this internal psychological battle and become a good person forever. Mm. The fact that she doesn't follow through on that, the audience kind of takes it that she's supposed to be the villain. But I think it was one of those moments, especially in the aftermath of that episode, because I remember watching it live and then waking up the next morning and thinking, yeah, I have been watching a different show to about 90% of the audience because I thought I remember having conversations with my friends in around the time of season seven where we were having conversations about Daenerys's authoritarian streak and whether the writers would commit to mm-hmm. taking it down whether they would be brave enough to kind of go down that and I said I don't think they're going to do it because I don't think they're brave enough to do it yeah. it's there but I, but I think the idea with the bells, which is that penultimate episode, mm-hmm. is that Daenerys isn't supposed to be the villain. The, the shock of that episode that I got was to watch a, a good character, in quotes, do something awful. And it's because she was a, that's the shock of it. That's what makes it so horrible is that she's a good person inside who wants to make the world a better place, but she's actually lost sight of what's good and what's bad. And so this is why I never quite subscribed to this idea that Daenerys would never slaughter innocent people. And it's like, no, she wouldn't, but she doesn't think that the population of King's Landing are innocent people anymore. She just sees them as another enemy. And so that's the tragedy, which is that as much as it's horrible to witness and as much as objectively she should be able to see that, she's completely lost sight of what's good in the world and what's bad in the world. And all she can see in front of her is another obstacle that she just has to obliterate. Cause that's what she has done throughout the whole show. Whenever there's anything been in front of her, she's either set it on fire 
or or beating it down with an army and she's always used the same tactic and so eventually the wrong people just got in the line of fire and if you were to re-watch especially from season seven onwards when they really you can tell that the writers have really started to like commit to this now mm. where I think it's fine when you have you know for a viewer I think it looks fine and it's relaxing and oh yes good old Daenerys when she is doing mic drops and being really horrible to people like the Slave Masters or yeah. um, I don't know if you remember Hisdar Zolorak, who is the guy she marries in season five or agrees to marry. Oh, yeah. Um, and when it's people like that, that we don't know, it's like, yeah, they don't get it. We know the real Daenerys and they don't. But then she meets yeah. Jon Snow and he beha- she behaves exactly the same way, but with somebody that we know and love and care about and whose journey we followed. And when Tyrion in season seven suggests like, maybe we should talk about what happens when you're gone. And she's like, we'll only talk about that after I've won. And she doesn't entertain this idea of democracy or a vote or anything. It's like, I'm just going to wear the crown and that's all we're going to talk about. And that's a long way before any of the Bells stuff happens. And if you were to rewatch, there were bits I missed even in the first episode of season eight where the dragons are flying overhead in Winterfell and all the people are like, oh my God, dragons, this is so horrible. This is and then Daenerys is just like, smile face, smiley face, look how great I am. And oh my gosh, yes. I remember watching that and laughing because, and I remember saying, this is like a homecoming parade that nobody asked for. <laughs> like they're like, yeah. they're so high and mighty over everybody in that moment. And everyone's just like, oh, what is this? But she and, just expects to be praised. And in A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, which was the episode, uh, season eight, episode two, with Brienne being knighted and all that stuff, Daenerys is the only character who isn't embracing the end. Yeah. Like every single character, I mean, Sansa's kind of another one, but even then when Theon turns up, it kind of hits home for her that like, this is it. Yeah. And Daenerys is the only person who's planning for a future afterwards because that's mm. where her mind is. Like she's come north to fight the Night King, but not to save the world. But kind of as, it's to get rid of an obstacle because it's like, I won't be able to rule Westeros if the Night King is around. Yeah. So let's get rid of him. Everything is, and this isn't to say that Daenerys was always evil because I feel like that kind of misses the point as well. It's this idea that she was a good person and she had a very good heart and she did a lot of good. And she, for a period, ended slavery in in Essos and she murdered a load of fascists and slave masters and she did good and she wanted to do good. And I think that if she'd have been able to sit on the Iron Throne without any obstacles in the way, she would have been a fine ruler. She would have been just fine, but she was over time pushed to limits and brutalized and all she'd ever been taught by the people who raised her was that violence is the way and that dragons are the way. And the way that she behaves in the second to last episode is no different to how she behaves when Viserys has molten gold poured over his head or when she interrogates the Myronese nobleman in season five or whatever. It's just that she's just dangerously powerful now. And so her her behavior and her response is just the same. I just, I don't think she became, I don't think she was aware of how powerful she was yeah, And because I'm in communities that like the end of Game of Thrones, you do get some people sometimes who feel 
vindicated that Daenerys went mad and that like, but that's not the way to read it. And I realized that during all of these arguments and all of these discussions that there is a position to occupy in the middle, which is just that you can see both sides. And the idea was that, I mean, George R. R. Martin has always kind of um, said that he liked writing about the human heart in conflict with itself. Oh, I like that. And if Daenerys isn't the human heart in conflict with itself, then... What is? Yeah, what's... And and it's just just a shame for Daenerys that the last thing she ever did was the worst thing that she ever did. And so that's her legacy now. And that's how she'll be remembered. And it's... I think that there is a problem with a lack of... It's just in the sides of the fan base. Who, I mean, I know people who didn't like the ending and they're totally justified in their point of view. And they, they were honest. They said, we didn't like what happened. Mm-hmm. We didn't think it was right for Daenerys to go down like that. We didn't think it was right for Jon not to end up on the throne. We didn't think it was right for Jamie not to end up with Brienne. And so that's totally fair enough. I think that's, in the end, they've accepted. It's a subjective viewpoint. And we don't all like what happens in our favorite TV shows at the end. But there has been in certain corners of the fan base that didn't like the ending, there has been a real problem with a lack of willingness to reevaluate and speculate and question and look at things again. And I mean, I've even had somebody say to me, it's not the purpose of an ending to make you reevaluate the story. And I'm like thinking, no, that is the purpose of every ending. (laughs) You watch everything with ret- you watch everything in retrospect, and you understand it all a little bit better, and you see things that you missed the first time. And I, I always think watching things again makes a huge difference. It took me. I remember. I mean, I don't. I mean, we all saw your amazing reaction to the longest night. Uh, the long night. The longest night is the name of this show. Um, <laughs> the long night. And yeah. you know, you were in tears, and it was like a, quite a lot of us who liked the ending were kind of relieved that you liked the episode because obviously there were a lot of people who decided at the moment the Night King died that they hated the final season. Oh yeah. I never understood why. I it, never... it flipped on a knife edge that night. I still remember the next morning, just the, the next, the IMDB page for the next episode, which was the last of the Starks, which coincidentally is my least favorite episode of the season. And one of my least favorite episodes in the show. Okay. I, I remember going on the IMDb page before the episode went out and its rating was already at like 3.2 or whatever. Cause like people had just decided the night King was the final boss. <laughs> and so, but I think, you know, the final season made two big 50, 50 splits and it kind of, it divided up the fan base. So it was like 50, 50 down the middle. Do we kill the night King or don't we? And then you make the decision to kill the, to kill the night King and, 50% of the audience don't like it. Mm. And 50% of the audience do like it. Mm-hmm. And then, so you've, you've still got 50% of goodwill with the audience. And then you decide to commit to Daenerys going down the dark path. And then that 50%, 50% splits into another 50%. So from your original 100%, you've only got 25% left of goodwill. <laughs> and so it's, I think, you know, you have to start making decisions towards the end of a show. And they started doing this from season five onwards when they decided not to expand. Because obviously you'll find in the books that there are loads of storylines in the fourth oh, and fifth oh, books yeah. that don't exist I'm in the so show. I'm excited for that, yeah. 
Um, so you end up with two versions of the story, but yeah, there were a lot of people just, when you make these big decisions, you're not going to bring everybody with you. And I know that in a parallel universe where they make a very safe ending to Game of Thrones and the Night King is the final boss and Cersei goes down because of her reluctance to help and John dies heroically in Daenerys' arms and then Daenerys takes the throne mm-hmm. in that happy ending where everything's all right at the end. You'll get maybe not just as much because it's a slightly it's a slightly safer ending, but you'll get people saying, this is a boring ending. This isn't Game of Thrones. Mm. This was never, Game of Thrones was never a typical <laughs> fantasy show. And so I think quite a lot of the criticism came because nothing could be resolved yeah. once all of these difficult endings happen. I mean, I loved the fact that it was, I didn't think every beat of it was elegant. I thought that the fourth episode in particular was like three episodes worth of content, just bah, 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 bah. Here, here's another big incident. Here's another big incident. Here's another big incident. And it's like, oh, this, this is too much. I need some downtime. Yeah. But, and there needs to be some reflection. You've just killed off the Night King. You don't have to just never mention him again. Yes. You, you can talk about it. And I, that was the one problem I had with that episode. But once it set up everything for the final two episodes, I thought that as much as I have issues with the execution, I think that where everything ended up made too much sense to me when I thought about it. And I would say there's only one thing that I wish didn't happen or happened differently in the in season eight with more obviously in the moments which is another thing where you said I think it's really cool where you do that one year introspective look back because mm-hmm. and that's just so interesting to me it's one thing that with my videos obviously you are getting my gut reaction and a lot of that has changed um and so I think with Jamie I had a lot of love for Jamie I couldn't you know love him unconditionally because of things that he had done. But I didn't hate that he ended up going back to Cersei. I don't hate that at all. And I actually cried for them when they died together. I I really liked the way that it happened and it really hit me. Um, But the thing that made me angry was if they were gonna make him go back to Cersei, why did he have to sleep with Brienne? I wish that it was like one or the other. That's the only thing of season eight where I still am like, oh, it either he could sleep with Brienne and stay with Brienne or don't sleep with Brienne and just go back to Cersei. It just always made me, and it's not like uh, I'm complaining about it in a, they should have done this differently type of way because I just don't, I think it's useless to harp on a show that is great. <laughs> um, but it is one of those things where personally and emotionally that messed me up the most over Danny even turning on me, quote unquote, mm-hmm. turning on me. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you, if you had the similar feeling about that or if you kind yeah. of. Um, I mean, I love the idea of Jamie going back to Cersei and I loved yeah. the way that they did it mm-hmm. when it got to Jamie getting back to Cersei. But there's just that bit in the middle, isn't there, where they sleep together and. Yeah. I mean, the scene itself is uncomfortable for me. I just don't like that they did it. I don't like the setup that Brienne is like exposed as being a virgin and that somehow, because that's like a virtuous. a huge part of her identity. Yeah, but that's like in their world, she's not married and she's a virgin. That's not a thing to rag on somebody about. It's virtuous to still be a virgin in their world. 
I mean, I know that Tyrion's got a more modern mind than most of the people in the show. That's why we're all attached to him, is that he's 21st century morality in a medieval world. So I I, I get that. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't like the decision to have them sleep together because I just thought it was kind of like unimaginative. It just felt like they just followed a very easily logical yeah. track. And Game of Thrones was never really the show that did that. It, yeah. Like you would always follow things logically and the characters would do something different. And that was why it was so frustrating to kind of watch Ned go to his death, to watch Rob Stark go to his death, to watch John go to his death. Mm. It was the thing with the show. It was about kind of testing people. And it was about making characters do the opposite of what we wanted that was best for them. And, you know, maybe this was the right idea or this was the right idea. And they would always pick the idea that, would be most challenging for the characters and therefore by extension us. But yeah. I think that's what makes the Bells so hard to watch is that everybody loses. Yeah. Everybody loses. Yeah. Nobody wins in that episode. Even Daenerys, Daenerys wins the battle, but she loses right. herself. Yeah. Nobody, which is why it's hard to watch because it, even with stuff like, even stuff that was emotionally challenging, like Ned being killed or the mm-hmm. Red Wedding or something that defined the moral complexity of Game of Thrones, et cetera, et cetera. In that situation, you still have clear good and evil parallels being drawn. Yes. Ned is the good guy, gets killed by Cyrillin and Joffrey, who are the bad guys. The Red Wedding, Rob Stark and Catelyn are the good guys. They get killed by the Freys, who are the bad guys. Yeah. They might, in that situation, with the, with the Bells, it's the good and bad sides, everybody loses. Mm-hmm. And so of course it's going to be difficult to watch, but I feel like the lack of willingness to investigate why, I think I wrote an article about this where I thought that like as clumsy as bits of the final season were, I think that the the, the question on everybody's lips after the final season or the, the accusation was how dare they do that? Yeah. How dare David Benioff and Dan Weiss do that to my characters mm. when what would have made things better, I think, it doesn't mean you have to like it, but it's always far more interesting to go, why did they do that? Yes. Why, why did they make the decision to do what they did? And if you track it back, because you get this sometimes where John, for example, in The Long Night is not really involved he doesn't yeah. really do anything. He's on dragon back for a bit and then he gets knocked off, doesn't get to fight the Night King, doesn't mm-hmm. make it to Bran. Arya has to save the day. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, the, the way that people reacted to that specifically, it was like it was a mistake. It was like the, the writers had forgotten to give something to John. And it's like, no, they've gone through every step of this battle and they've planned out every single little bit of it. Mm-hmm. This isn't a mistake that John is nowhere to be seen in this fight. It's not his fight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe it would have been cool to see John battle the Night King with a sword and do a cool move and do a jump and a flip and then strike the Night King down or even lose to the Night King in a sword fight and have Arya swoop in afterwards or whatever. But like, John doesn't really, like, I'm not saying that those these characters are less than, but the history of movie movies and TV and literature is filled with characters like John 
who are these like secret kings lying in wait to achieve their destiny or whatever. And that's, and that's fine. That's totally fine. Luke Skywalker, Aragorn, like all of these history, historical archetypes who have always like existed as like these secret heroes who are just kind of like, they just take the world on their shoulders and they, they're very good with the sword. And But John's always resented that aspect of his character. There's an amazing moment in season seven that I always come back to. And you know, like you were saying that you maybe go for monologues and smaller character scenes as your favorite moments. Yeah. There's this moment in season seven and it's the first time that John and Daenerys are alone together ever on the show where they're on a cliff edge. And Daenerys just says, we all enjoy what we're good at. And, yeah. and then John goes, I don't. No. And I that's, that's, that. that's the difference between them. Straight away, Daenerys loves that she's very powerful and that she has all this might and that she can change the world. And Jon hates it. Mm-hmm. And that, that is why they were never going to end up together. It's why they're, even, even without Jon finding out that he was related to her, mm-hmm. I think that they inevitably would have ended up apart anyway because they just have very different value systems. Yeah. They got together because they're hot and young. That they were together in the first place. Because they're so different from each other. Hmm. Maybe this is part of why a lot of people did, at the time, a lot of people didn't quite buy into their chemistry as a couple. Yeah. And I think that it's because of that. Yeah. They're, they're, not, they're not supposed to be a couple. Yeah. They're not starting, the show does a very good job of tricking you into thinking that they're star-crossed lovers mm-hmm. who were going to finally unite after being at polar ends of the map for six seasons and then they finally come together and they unite and they save the world <laughs> and that's when the cameras normally stop rolling in most tv shows but yeah. the cameras carry on rolling Tyrion says well we've defeated the white walkers but what about us we're still left behind what do we do and it turns out humans just go back to fighting mm-hmm. and going back to falling oh, for their worst impulses and I think that beats could have been stronger. I think bits could have been set up differently. I like the fact that, say, Bran is king, but I'm not entirely sure about how they got there. Exactly. Yeah. I think, though, with Bran being king, I I wasn't angry about it, but I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Um, because I personally was very invested in Bran's storyline from the start. Um, specifically when Joe or what's his Jojen and Mira yeah come yeah. in and lead him through this destiny driven plot line and I always thought I think because I was so invested with Bran it, I was a little bit disappointed in his ending because I always viewed his plot line leading to something far beyond just the throne something that just mm. like not human made it was just this big destiny I don't even know I I I didn't know what it was gonna be but um when I found out it was the throne and it felt like Bran maybe knew that it was the throne toward the end there um yeah that's one of the aspects of the final episode that I'm not a huge fan of that why do you think I came all this way because it just feels like they're giving material to people who want to pick holes in the ending because that is like that implies that Bran knew everything was going to happen and that he's this like super objective observer and that he doesn't change anything even when there's going to be a tragedy he just does not intervene and 
that mm-hmm. makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit queasy. Like I, I think what it means is that he came to King's Landing at the end because he knew that one day he would have to, he would be called upon and he would have to do something. Mm. I think that's what it means, but it can be very easily taken that he knew all along that something terrible was going to happen and that he was going to just swoop in afterwards and take the crown. And I don't think that's what they intended. Yeah. I don't, I, and, don't, I don't know why they want, want it portrayed that like that. I can't remember if it was you that I was talking to or somebody else. I talked to a lot of people about Game of Thrones. Good. So no, excellent. Yeah. What it was, but somebody was telling me how they kind of viewed it. They liked that Bran was king and they viewed it as if maybe Bran knew he was meant to be king, but he's not really acting as king. He knew he wanted Tyrion to kind of take over. He knew that Tyrion was going to be handed the king. And in that final council meeting, when you wa- we are introduced with Tyrion kind of leading the meeting, Bran stops in and is like, you got this? Cool. I'm going to go. Um, yeah. yeah that, think, well, that definitely wasn't me. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. I like, yeah. I love that reading though. Yeah. I think yeah. it must've been my, I think it might've been my grandma. I think it might've been my Aww. grandma. Um, she said she always viewed it that way. And that, um, she knew or Bran knew that no one would go for Tyrion being King. No one would allow that given the state of things at the end. And so her and she didn't really think on it she just assumed this right when she saw the episode i don't know how she came to this conclusion but i was like oh that's a nice way to put it um so i don't know maybe it's it's like it's one of those things where i like this show because of this back and forth and the 50 50 percent of the fandom you know on every little issue because i think that's what makes it a great show and i love hearing all these different theories some and i like to like take little bits and pieces from each but i thought that reading of it was definitely interesting if he had to know that he was going to be king for that to be the reason that he was okay with it and makes it a little bit less slimy. Um, mm. I, think, I think that's kind of cool. I think you can read into a lot of Brand's ending that basically Westeros has now turned into a surveillance state, um, which I thought was quite interesting. But because it's now he's essentially got CCTV in his head and he can see what everybody's doing all of the time. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> a bit of a weird sort of like invasion of privacy thing going on there. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I. Um, yeah, just with regards to Brand's ending, though, I got the um, the symbolism behind it in the sense that he's aware of every mistake that everybody has ever made and that humans actually can't run themselves, that maybe they do need a greater power yeah. to make sure that things don't fall apart again, um, which made sense to me. Yeah, I agree. Tyrion's little speech leading into, you know, his reasoning of why Bran is the perfect choice did make sense to me. I think the only thing that I didn't like about it is that it had to be a speech to make me make sense of it. You know, that's it's corny. It's really corny. I think that if the final season was a regulation 10 episodes, they would have spent the whole episode working that out rather than just a speech, a vote, some nice music. It's done. That was the one thing about that final episode that I didn't get on with, just Mm -hmm. that it should have... Ordinarily, I think episode nine would end with Daenerys's body being flown away. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that, the fade to black, that's the end of the episode. We have a week to sit on it. And then several weeks pass, Tyrion wakes up in a cell, everybody's in King's Landing. And you have that illusion of time created by the six days in between the episodes 
That's really and, that. and it just and then you would have spent the episode working out right who's going to be king. What do we do? Yeah, and I think that maybe I mean as far as I'm concerned, we could have had a hundred episodes, and I think some people would have decided to hate the ending. <laughs> and because there are a lot of people out there who watch the show for certain characters Mm. which is a mistake that's the one thing you're told when you start watching game of thrones don't get attached yeah don't get attached to characters they'll either die or they'll let you down yeah or they won't end up where you want them to end up and other than maybe people who liked sansa and Arya, i was gonna say Arya especially they're the only two winners as it yeah. were because everybody sort of ends and maybe Bron because Bron kind of comes from nowhere and ends up on the small council yeah. but no one's favorite character is Bron is it so like you know like he's, lovable, but he's not he's not someone that you get invested in so like with Aya and Sansa whose journeys you follow throughout and like they're the only people who really win but even then Aya's so broken that she can't stay in Westeros right and like so does anybody win really like so like and again i think this is why the ending was so difficult to digest at first and maybe when people have calmed down and in 10 years time Mm. ask me again in 10 years as Tyrion says in the finale how meta how funny um right (laughs) maybe we'll reassess and we'll calm down and we'll be like oh yeah it was hard to understand that nobody won and yeah because no one liked the end of lost initially and that people are kind of coming around to that and no one really liked the final episodes, like final episode of The Sopranos at the time, but we all like that now and we all think it's a masterpiece. And, you know, people just calm down. People just get over things. Like, it's just a, a thing. Like, it's... Again, I think it's the mark of a great TV show <laughs> to be able to create debates. Yeah. So debates about every little thing. You know, it's because there are, are a bunch of little things that creates the show. It's not like... It's not a bullet list. It's like, there. It, it has a lot of complexities and it's the complexities that are making us argue, not the bad writing or the, or the bad whatever people want to say. Hmm. And I quite like as well, just because you're reading the books at the moment, yeah. I quite like the idea that there will be two versions of this story now if yeah. the books ever finish. Right. <laughs> I think George deserves to get to finish it. It's a shame he didn't finish it first because it's his thing. and. Hmm. And sometimes I wish people would leave him alone a little bit because he's just a guy writing books. Like he's not a genius. He's just, he's not like a, he's not a God. Like, I mean, he's the God of Westeros because he makes it, but like, it's, it's just, he's just a human making a thing. And I, you know, I've never written a book. And I also think that it is a, a hell of a lot easier to look at something that's finished and note where you would change things than to make something first you know full stop because i had all sorts of theories about the final season before it aired could i tell you how i was going to piece them all together no (laughs) so yeah i think it's so cool because usually i mean again i agree it would have been cool if he could have wrote the written the books and then we you know you get the the usual tv series slash movie series follows in their footsteps but I don't know if this is really anything that's ever happened before where the show or movie ends first and then the books continue and it can change and I think it's a really cool experience to be able to read if 
again, fingers crossed that these last two books come out, um, to be able to read them that way. I think that's so cool. Yeah. And just to, I mean, I like the fact that George will, if he gets to finish the books, will be a director's cut. It will be as he intended. And we get the TV version, which is probably going to be easier to digest and easier to enjoy. And then you get the books version where if you want to slave over it and you want to go really into the final, finer details, then you'll get that version. And then pretty soon we'll have House of the Dragon and it's becoming Westeros has become intellectual property now. It, it <laughs> won't be the end of it. Like House of the Dragon will be maybe popular enough to spark. Like I don't think a lot of casual viewers will stay with it, but I think it'll get right. decent figures, decent yeah. enough to be renewed for three seasons and then maybe end. But when yeah. the book's finished, there might be a completed animated version of it or something because then that gets around budgetary problems. That mm. when um when the book comes out, the new books come out, that we're able to like just separate from the show for a second to enjoy those. Cause I'm so afraid that ever you're like, that's impossible. I'm nope. so afraid that people are gonna be like, see, this is how it should have happened. And like cross yeah. off the show even more. But no, I, I, I hope that a lot of people will be able to just enjoy the show for what it is and enjoy the books for what they are. Yeah. Cause well, with more time, I think people will calm down. I can't believe that in just five months, it'll be two years since... Right. It's been so long and it's still such a hot debate. Oh, two yeah. Years. It'll never end. It will never, ever end. I guess um, one final little question just to talk about what your planning to do now i am doing game of thrones book club live streams on my channel mm -hmm. um as i'm reading i just had my first one yesterday and it went on for two hours and i talked about uh -huh. the prologue and the first two chapters in two hours so that's gonna be an adventure to tackle could be a could be a long journey for you <laughs> that's gonna be a while because i have so much to, here i have my book right here i know the people won't be able to see it but um just Oh, um, wow. You've got like uh, oh, post-it notes and... It's only the first 119 pages, but there's at least two or three post-it notes on every page. Wow. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and, I guess, um, and I guess as well, just also you've drawn attention to your shelf, um, <laughs> but you can now look at the Sansa and John models that you've got without oh. fear of spoilers. Because I remember that Funko Pop turned up with Sansa in the dress that she wears in the finale. And I remember everybody in the comments being like, yeah. don't look too closely at that one. And just just maybe keep it in a drawer for a while yeah. and then get it out at the end of the show. And Yeah, and God, I had no yeah. idea. And she even has like a crown on. I just thought, you know, I think I even got... Um, one thing in retrospect that probably was a spoiler was I got like Danny on the Iron Throne. I got that oh. in like season six, I think. And I was just like, oh, cool. Like, I did not think it correlated to what was actually going to happen in the show. I thought it was just like every Funko Pop has someone on the Iron Throne because there's so many different teams of people who want mm. people on the Iron Throne. So I didn't think much of it. So definitely oh, good. Sansa yeah. wearing a crown and a dress. I was just like, cool, Sansa. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I guess if there's nothing left to say, then I guess I'd just say thanks very much for doing this again. Yeah. Um, I will one day send you the uh, 
bits and pieces of the audio that um <laughs> that, for, of the original version of the interview my god um i had to put my hands over my face just there thinking about it but um yeah um that was a lesson learned i think oh, yeah. um but thanks very much for coming on our first guest first that's guest so and i'm the first guest that's so exciting yeah no it's fantastic and hopefully we'll have more guests but at the end of season two three and so on um this show is going to go on until at least may 2022 me and lizzie worked out so that's how long it's going to take us to watch all eight seasons with a week by week uh format with breaks in the middle (laughs) and with christmas and easter specials and stuff so yeah oh well wonderful well thanks very much for coming on um it's been yeah it's been very very awesome (laughs) so thank you very much for tuning in to our christmas special Our normal episodes will be back very soon. We're both just having a break from the show while we spend time with our families over Christmas, but we'll be back in the new year with season two, episode one, The North Remembers. So see you all very, very soon.